black sheep are amazing and the fact that people think that they can ostracize us like that was one thing about being a black sheep that i do not regret and that does not make me upset is that if i can deal with my parents rejection if i can deal with my family's rejection who the fuck are you to tell me anything like it has made me unfuckwithable on that level because like i just don't like if i'm not gonna change myself for my family why the fuck would i change myself for you literally who are you like that's the energy that black sheep hold and that all of us should keep up because a lot of us as we're talking about struggle with our confidence but honestly no girl like no Welcome to Is It Worth It? The Self-Worth Podcast. My name is Roshni. I'm the founder of Self-Worth Coaching and the CEO of Betty Grew Up, a content creation and coaching platform. This podcast and my work are dedicated to helping you become your most empowered self and to remind you to detach your self-worth from your external life experience. This is powerful work, and I am so grateful that you are joining me for another episode. To learn more, make sure that you head to the show notes below. And without further ado, let's hop into this incredible episode. Welcome to a brand new episode. So today I want to jump right in and start talking about self-worth and the black sheep experience. So I've been directing a lot of my content towards South Asian women lately because I've been launching my Not Your Betty online course. So now I want to connect with the black sheep in my audience, right? My content is for South Asian women, but also for cycle breakers, generational trauma breakers, and people who identify as the black sheep of their family. I actually did quite a bit of research for this episode on the black sheep experience and how it affects mental health, how it affects self-worth. So I want to dive into these studies first, and then as the episode goes on, I want to talk more kind of about what we experience and how to start healing from this kind of experience of being a black sheep. So this first study is called Mental Health and Self-Worth in Socially Transitioned Transgender Youth. So what this study looked at is the experience of young trans folks and them being able to use their pronouns, dress the way that they want to dress, and that's what they consider socially transitioned, right? So in a study comparing socially transitioned transgender youth with their peers who were not transgender, they actually found that children who were able to use their pronouns and wear clothes that made them feel like themselves actually didn't show higher depression rates than their peers, and they also didn't show a difference in self-worth. What they did show was higher levels of anxiety than their peers, and that makes sense because your entire experience as a teenager is going to be different than your peers around you, right? Cis folks don't have to deal with nearly as much of the mental gymnastics or the social anxiety. They don't have to worry about, am I going to be safe in every single environment that I'm in? And while they might have to worry about that for other reasons, their gender identity is not one of those reasons, right? So that that kind of makes sense. But the reason that I also wanted to bring up that study was because it was on teenage youth and self-worth, but also because it shows us that when your parents accept you, even if it's not to 
the highest level, but they allow you to dress the way that you want to dress. They allow you to use your actual pronouns and they respect that. And will, you know, some parents will say like, you can be this person at home, but you can't go out into the world like it. Or, you know, there's a lot of kind of gray area with parents saying that they want to accept you and trying to be maybe understanding or trying to allow things to happen, but ultimately caring more what others think, right? So when a parent doesn't do that and actually allows you to be yourself, it positively affects your rate of depression and self-worth. They experience the same rates of depression and the same sense of self-worth as their peers who were cis. And so that is an interesting comparison because it shows that your parents actually respecting your gender identity will significantly improve your mental health. And while a lot of that is kind of obvious, being able to look at it in a study kind of gives this empirical evidence behind it that says, look, this really is true. And this is how you are impacting your children as a parent and this is how your life as a child of these kinds of parents will impact you as a teen and then later on into adulthood right but there was another fascinating study called bye bye black sheep and they did multiple studies on children and adolescents who identify as the black sheep of their family. So what they found is that violently angry or dysfunctional behaviors show in children who are threatened with abandonment. And children who are threatened with abandonment may be actually terrified of expressing their anger and their fear to that parent because that parent has already threatened their safety and security by showing signs that they will abandon them, right? So that fear and that anger that the child wants to express but is too scared to express to the parent actually ends up showing in forms of anxiety and rage. And in extreme cases, they actually talked about parental murder in this study and they said that the way that it kind of makes sense in the mind of a child or even an older teen who has committed that kind of crime is that they are so afraid of abandonment that if they are able to kill their parent in their mind they're thinking well if you're dead you can't leave me and obviously that is like the most extreme case most people are probably not going to murder their parents but this is something that actually happens and to understand the pathology behind it is fascinating because while most of us don't go to that extreme we do experience high anxiety we do experience anger and that comes out in ways that we feel like we can't control because the place that we want to direct it to is unavailable to hear it or is ultimately all of us want our parents to love us, right? So if your parent has said, I'm not going to love you because you're like this, or you have to leave the house as soon as you're 18, I don't care where you're going to go, or you know whatever those things are that are unique to your situation that make you feel like that threat of abandonment has been struck, that anxiety and that rage and all of those feelings of feeling unloved and feeling unworthy all of that is bubbling up inside of you with no place to go and so based on 
your brain chemistry, based on your experiences, based on what has been done around you, we are going to react in different ways to that situation and to that information. So for those who experienced some sort of parental rejection in infancy, they were known to develop fearful avoidant behavior in their adult relationships and they were also known to develop adolescent and adult depression and so how many of us have experienced depression as a teenager as an adult I'm diagnosed with depression so I've experienced it multiple multiple times and it is so difficult but but this study shows that there is a very strong link between parental rejection as a child even as an infant and developing that depression later on and a lot of us know that the way that your parents care for you the way that they treat you even when you are just a crying baby that does start the threads of your attachment later on to other people and to your partner as you age and grow older so even if you are consciously unaware of like, I'm crying and my mom's ignoring me, even if like you can't have those thoughts as a baby, the emotional damage has been done, right? So there's a few other interesting studies and tidbits that I want to shout out now. And then like I said, we'll talk more about like the healing aspect later on in the podcast. But this kind of going on the topic of, you know, teen depression, a 1998 study by Robertson and Simmons found that parental rejection was the only family factor that is associated with teen depression. So by only family factor, they mean like, okay, your brain chemistry might be predisposed to depression. You might have, you know, other things that lead you to experience depression as a teen or as an adult. But the only thing that your family had control over was that piece of parental rejection. And those of us who have experienced that, who've been told by our parents over and over again that we're not good enough, that we're not accepted as we are, that we don't belong, a lot of those aspects directly contribute to our level of depression. And this is also where I want to say that that aspect of South Asian culture and black sheep overlap because most people who identify as a black sheep have had these kinds of negative experiences with their family telling them certain things or not accepting parts of them, which then makes you as the child feel like, well, my parents don't accept any of me if they don't accept these foundational aspects of who I am. And with South Asian culture, it's very similar in that you're supposed to have perfect grades and strive for this certain kind of life where this is acceptable and this isn't acceptable and you're supposed to do things on this perfect timeline, which I always call, you know, quote unquote, like the checklist, and when you fail to meet those check marks or when you fail to cross things off that list in the appropriate time, you are seen as shameful. You're seen as an embarrassment. And people constantly remind you of that, right? Like there's not a time where people don't bring that up at a family function or your parents don't say that you're not married to you for the 300th time. Like these things keep coming up over and over and over again. And so for both black sheep and for South Asian women and femmes, there's a huge overlap here between our parents making us feel rejected and of course that then contributing to our depression. 
A further study by Meesters, Muris, and Esslink in 1995 shows that parental rejection or even perceived parental rejection is the strongest predictor of clinical hostility and distrust towards others. Meaning that, of course, when you believe that your parents are rejecting you or when they outwardly are very clearly rejecting you, that's going to cause you to have deep trust issues. And I've truly found that trust issues can't be healed all on your own. Like, yes, a lot of that forgiveness, a lot of that healing work on your side can definitely be done on your own. But at the same time, if you are never able to be in a trusting relationship, even if it's a friendship, right? Even if it's a mentorship, even if there is some sort of connection with any other human in your life, if you're not able to experience some sort of trusting connection with another person, like the circle hasn't been complete, right? Maybe you can get to 75% healed. And this doesn't have to mean that you go back to that person. Maybe the healthiest thing for you is to cut off your family. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a single other good person out there for you to even just be friends with, right? And I'm not the kind of per like I'm a I'm very much an introvert. I'm not the kind of person that says that you have to have X amount of friends to be healthy, that you need to have a giant friend group, that you even need to have a romantic partner at all. I think you can be happy and be single. But normally the happiest people at least have, you know, a a partner or kids or friends or some sort of community where they feel valued. Even if that's two people and those two people are your best friends, having them in your life and being able to trust them and having them trust you and having that reciprocal relationship is extremely healing. Another study by Oliver and Whiffin in 2003 showed that paternal rejection specifically has a massive effect on male depression. And physical abuse is also part of this. So being hit, being slapped, being, you know, whatever it is, that physical aspect to punishment gets perceived as parental rejection. So for the thought process of any child, if they think that if you love me, you won't hit me. So therefore, you hitting me means that you do not love me. And that kind of goes to both studies, the one on paternal rejection specifically impacting male depression and causing more males to feel depressed because their father doesn't accept them, but it also makes a point about all parental rejection being the strongest predictor of cynical hostility and distrust towards others. So if your parents hit you, you will be more hostile as an adult. If your parents hit you, you will not be trusting of others because the people who you were born to be with, the people that you had no control over, the people who you were most vulnerable, vulnerable around as a child and as a baby took advantage of that. So why would you be trusting to anyone else? Why would you allow anyone else in with open arms, right? It makes perfect sense. And there's two last studies here that I want to mention. So one of them was done by Dunn, Stalker, and Pyoman in 1990. And they saw they found that 
being scapegoated as the black sheep, especially amongst other siblings who are favored, directly negatively impacts your self-worth and competency. And you believe something is wrong with me, which then causes you to be anxious, to fix everything, to fix yourself, to be a perfectionist, to overthink, etc. So the study part found that the one sibling who was scapegoated as a black sheep directly that experience directly negatively impacted the black sheep's self-worth and competency. And this is what I've been saying forever. I had this realization in 2020, like my content and my self-worth coaching was not always for black sheep because I didn't realize that connection was there. And then through my personal experience of going low contact with my parents, separating myself a lot from a lot of my family, I realized I am the black sheep and my self-worth, my low self-worth is a direct result of my family and the way that I was raised. And after I went through that personal experience of going low contact with them, I realized that this wasn't exclusive to me. This wasn't only my experience. All black sheep have their self-worth negatively impacted. And now you can see here that this is also backed up by a study. So I believe that when you really feel like something's wrong with me because these people in my life love everyone around me, all my siblings, but they don't love me. Or, you know, in my case, I'm an only child. And so I didn't have that comparison factor with siblings, but I did see how they treated other people's children or, you know, other people around me and comparing yourself to that. Or even in South Asian culture, we're always compared to the kid with the best grades, the kid that's the most talented, right? And you're always striving to be that kid. So that's why I believe that a lot of these behaviors and a lot of this judgment from your parents ends up being so internalized that you think, God, everyone around me is better because my siblings are loved more than I am. My friends are loved more than I am. Everyone in life is loved for and cared for more than I am. It's incredibly isolating. So it's almost like your ego, your inner child, this part of you is like, how can I fix it? How can I people please? How can I be perfect, right? You get sucked into perfectionism, which is the shame that you feel for not being perfect. You getting you start getting sucked into this overfixation of your behaviors, this overthinking, this overanalyzing, this social anxiety, because you don't know how to trust people. You don't know how to exist in a way that is natural and carefree. Everything has to be predetermined. Everything has to be thought out because you fundamentally believe I am not enough. I am not accepted as I am. I have already been deeply rejected by the people who quite literally are biologically wired to love me. And I got rejected. And even in the case of a lot of people who are adopted, they have this thought of even the people who decided they wanted me in their lives still end up not loving me. So how fucked up am I? Right? That there is a part of you that feels that way no matter how much you try to mask it. If you've been through these experiences, it is a normal reaction. We want to be loved. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. We want to be accepted. That is the human way. So the last study I want to talk about is by Brody et al. 
1998, and what he found is that disfavored siblings experience higher fear and more frequent shame than the favored siblings. They also experience higher feelings of shame, resentment, envy, and anger towards the favored siblings. He also found that black sheep don't get rewards from their parents, so because they're lacking that parental reward system, they do fewer things to even try to get rewarded, which then leads to them being less likable because they're exhibiting fewer positive behavior. And it kind of reinforces this idea in their head. So it's almost like a chicken and egg scenario where your parents don't really act like they love you anyway. So you stop doing things that are affectionate. You stop going out of your way to be seen as positive because you've been seen as negative your entire life. And because you stop caring about people liking you, because you stop caring about, like, it's not that you even stop caring. It's that you give up. You give up on the fact that people can love you. And because you've given up, you do a lot of things that are, unlikable or you don't you're not maybe as considerate of people in other situations because you're mistrustful you're distrustful of those people so then it's kind of the chicken and the egg is are you doing things that are unlikable because you were never rewarded for doing positive things or is the fact that you were never rewarded for doing positive things is that what has then made you unlikable right and that's something that they're kind of debating in that study. And then, I'm sorry, there actually is one last study. It's by Bailmeister and DeWall. And they say that people who feel rejected by society show more self-defeating behaviors and impaired self-regulation. So being rejected makes you deviate more. And that kind of goes with that aspect of unlikability, right? So this made me think of, first of all, talking about impaired self-regulation, a lot of people who've been experienced to extended trauma, first of all, they can have complex PTSD, but outside of that, you are living in fight or flight, right? And what that means is that your nervous system is dysregulated. Your nervous system has been fighting for your life, your entire life. And when you finally are able to step out of that feeling, when you finally get out of fight or flight mode, sometimes we just shut down because your body is exhausted, and I don't know if you're on TikTok, but there's been this video that keeps popping up on my page and a lot of people are stitching it. But someone basically said, you know, I've been in fight or flight mode my entire life and I'm finally coming out of it and I haven't done anything in two weeks. I cannot get out of bed. And that's what happens. A lot of us absolutely shut down because your when your body is in survival mode and then it finally realizes it doesn't have to be in that high intensity high anxiety survival mode it is going to rest it is going to rest until it feels rested and for those of us who have experienced this dysregulation of our nervous system our entire lives there is so much rest that needs to be caught up on so just from personal knowledge, signs of your nervous system being dysregulated can be, you know, not sleeping regularly, not sleeping well, not eating regularly, eating really quickly, not being able to finish one thing or sitting still. 
feeling extremely restless all the time. Um, a lot of these things where, you know, even your digestive system gets completely turned around when you are going through nervous system dysregulation because you're not going, like if you think about it evolutionarily, if you're literally running away from a tiger, that's not going to be the time that your body says, okay, let me properly digest this food. It's going to say, we are focused on running and all of our attention, all of our adrenaline is being pushed to help us run and to focus on our endurance so we can get away, right? That fear, your heartbeat, your eyes, your pupils, everything changes to support you being able to run away from that tiger. And so when you think about it, and instead of a tiger, what you have is parents who make you feel unwanted, parents who are rejection, (laughs) parents who are rejecting you, parents who are beating you, that has caused your body from such a young age to have to develop and grow and go through puberty and age in a point of nervous system dysregulation. And for my first year of healing, like I did almost nothing but like watch Netflix and go to work and cook food. Like I did not do extra fun things. Like I was in basic shutdown mode, whatever I needed to do, I did outside of that. I was not doing anything. And I did start judging myself for being lazy or for not being productive and this and that. But at the end of the day, when I look back, I needed that year of just allowing myself to shut down in a safe and healthy way. It was the first time that I fully lived on my own and had my own control outside of, you know, having roommates in college and that kind of thing. Like it was my first time where I knew I could pay my bills, where I knew I had a full-time job that was paying well, where I had, you know, my own place. And the only people in my life were people who made me feel safe. And there were not that many people in my life at that point. There were a lot of people who I depart ways with. But that was what it took for me to even get to the point where I could start regulating myself, where I could start feeling like my body was physically functioning in the way that it was supposed to. I finally was able to eat more. I finally was able to enjoy my food and slow down and start meditating and doing all these other things that truly calmed me down. And now I can say that I'm in a place where while I do get you know, disrupted sometimes and do experience high forms of anxiety or, you know, having panic attacks and things like that from time to time. For the most part, my internal stable place is me being slower minded, is me not overthinking, is me allowing myself to just be present. And for most of my life, I did not get to experience that. So that's why whenever we do a one-on-one coaching together with all of my clients, especially in my online course, in any situation where I am working with people, embodiment has now become a staple of my coaching practice. And there's so many different forms of embodiment that I offer that I'm knowledgeable about and ultimately I want to make sure that it's something that you feel comfortable with. So whether that's tapping and using EFT, which I talk about all the time, whether that's using, you know, the circle of excellence exercise or visualization or you know, using a, a physical anchor on your body, all of those are aspects of neurolinguistic programming, which is a lot scarier than it sounds. It's honestly just like simple body movements or simple visualization practices that allow you to 
bring a different emotion into your body. And it's very closely, you know, directed with mindset work and kind of enforcing these new pathways in your brain that are a lot healthier than what the pathway used to be, right? Um, so those are two great aspects, you know, even doing a lot of deep breathing and visualized meditations for a lot of us just sitting there and thinking about nothing just doesn't work for where we currently are, especially if you're coming from that place of your nervous system being so dysregulated, sitting there and not having a thought, like it's not helpful, but with transcendental meditation. So for example, um, chanting something or, or saying a mantra as you are meditating, that allows you to really focus on saying one thing and then embodying that one thing or that one feeling, right? And that, that when I first got into my meditation journey, I only almost always was swaying or chanting something as I was meditating and it would allow me to stay in that meditation for longer and experience a deeper meditative state because I was occupying my body and you know I was speaking and and doing those things allowed my body to enter a more relaxed state so with visualized meditation there is a lot of deep breathing and breathing for, you know, exhaling for twice as long as you're inhaling. Um, and that's another tip when you have an emotionally dysregulated nervous system, you take these short breaths, right? When you're in fight or flight mode, when you're even sometimes when you're running, like you can end up having kind of like these short panting type of breaths. And that ends up signaling to your mind that like we're in danger here. We have to pick up the pace. We have to go. So a quick trick for that is inhaling for a certain count, maybe it's three, maybe it's four, maybe it's two, and then exhaling for double that, right? So if you inhale for three slow seconds, exhale for six seconds and keep doing that and doubling the amount of time that you're exhaling because that immediately starts signaling to your body, things are okay, you're safe. We're able to take deep breaths, and if I was panicking, then I wouldn't be able to do this, right? So you're telling your body, you do not need to panic right now. So combining those deep breaths with visualization can really bring on this beautiful spiritual experience of, you know, whether you are visualizing yourself rooting down into the earth as a tree, whether you're visualizing yourself in a field listening to like a, a watery babbly creek, whether you are visualizing yourself being, you know, surrounded and cleansed by white light. One of my favorite visualizations is, you know, visualizing myself like in a field or in a beautiful place and then meeting my higher self there. Sometimes I meet with my inner child. Sometimes I meet with my inner mentor. But that's another way of keeping yourself almost entertained and connected spiritually and mentally while your body is also in this meditative state. So not only are you healing spiritually, are you healing emotionally, and you're, but you're also healing physically, right? And so all of those things together are really great for that nervous system regulation. And then speaking of breath, I mean, my ancestors knew what was up with pranayama, which is breath work, right? Which is, you know, originated in ancient India. And there's so many, you know, yogis and gurus who 
focus so much on breathing and it's absolutely beautiful because breath can change your mental state it can change your emotional state right there's fire breath there's breath that builds up there's breath that expands there's breath that promotes abundance there's breath that slows you down there's breath that calms you down right there's so there's i mean through some of my you know half hour pranayama practices i've had ancestors come to me who I never met in real life. Like I've had deep and profound spiritual experiences through breathing. And I've actually, one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had was I've had terrible cramps my entire life, you know, when I'm on my period and they have been debilitating awful. And I had a breathwork experience where I had this visualization and it was actually, it must have been from a past life or something, but my arms were in the air and I was at the bottom of a tunnel. I had gotten like thrown down there and there were people around at the top and no one was helping me and I was in labor and I ended up passing away in that tunnel and it was like like I couldn't make it up like I don't watch like tv shows about things like that I, I I wouldn't ever assume that I'm not someone who has ever been in labor or who has ever been pregnant in my life I don't really like that's not something that I would have put into my own mind or assumed or been like oh that's the conclusion that's why I have cramps right like I I wouldn't have done that and I didn't, I was like in super doubt. I was like, that was just a weird experience. It was just like a weird visual that came to me. Like I really didn't believe it for weeks, but since then my period cramps have been just a tiny fraction of what they used to be. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because breath is incredibly healing and it's an incredible way of regulating your nervous system and the things that can be accessed through breath. It's it's beyond what you can even comprehend. And just to touch on this while we're the, on the topic of pranayama and yoga, breath is so fundamental, but so is spirituality to these practices. And for people who whitewash yoga and are like beer garden yoga, goat yoga, like first of all, fuck off. Like it's so annoying. But it's also extremely appropriative to take these practices, take the spirituality out of them, repackage them with a white instructor, and then support like these capitalistic programs and people who are fundamentally not respecting these ancient practices. Like nothing pisses me off more. But what I'm saying is that through all of this, know that spirituality is an aspect of it, right? Because if you're doing yoga, if you're meditating, if you are breathing and you kind of want to ignore the spiritual side, there's a lot of benefit there that you're not getting. And again, I'm not saying that you have to have a certain spiritual belief. You can believe in God or a certain religion and still meditate, but knowing that that is bringing you closer with your connection to the to the divine, with your connection to nature, with your connection to love itself, that's what needs to be something that you're thinking about, right? So that was a little bit of what I had to say about nervous system regulation. But another thing as well is the deviant aspect of black sheep. And everyone who I've met in real life or online who identifies as a black sheep is honestly so fucking cool. Like, I'm sorry, but like, 
basic people are boring. That's why they're basic. Like black sheep are the people who are so creative. They're the people who are like covered in the coolest tattoos. They're the people who are artists themselves or do just really incredible things. They're very multi-passionate, very multi-dimensional. They a lot of them are also, you know, in the in the LGBTQ plus community like myself and those aspects are so beautiful and so enriching to our culture that to think that like your those parts of you aren't being valued and so you're being discarded like like it just does not make sense to me. Black sheep are amazing and the fact that people think that they can ostracize us like that was one thing about being a black sheep that I do not regret and that does not make me upset is that if I can deal with my parents rejection if I can deal with my family's rejection who the fuck are you to tell me anything like it has made me unfuckwithable on that level because like I just don't like if I'm not gonna change myself for my family, why the fuck would I change myself for you? Literally, who are you? Like, that's the energy that black sheep hold and that all of us should keep up because a lot of us, as we're talking about, struggle with our confidence, but honestly, no, girl. Like, no. So one of the best ways I feel about learning how to heal in general, but especially as learning how to heal as the black sheep is by understanding your pain first, right? You can't jump to all love and light if your shadows haven't even been seen yet because they're still there. And so by understanding what your experiences are, how things have affected you, that is what can lead you to ultimately being able to heal and letting more of that actual love in your life, right? Letting that trust in, allowing yourself to trust yourself instead of doubting yourself all the time and all the other great benefits that come with healing. So something that I really love about life coaching specifically is that while therapy is great in a lot of ways, and it, this isn't always how therapy goes, obviously there's so many different kinds of therapy, but for a lot of therapists and even in my experience, some of my first experiences with like three different therapists just kind of wanted to jump into the childhood and so you're kind of recounting all of these experiences that didn't make you feel good and didn't make you feel loved and instead of focusing on what else can be done from that usually within the time frame of a session you're kind of getting to the core of recounting some really difficult things and then it's kind of like okay see you in two weeks like great and there is this thing called the window of re-traumatization so this is an actual concept. I might have to edit in who created it, but I was doing research on it a while back. And what this really means is that, so it's actually called the window of tolerance, excuse me. And the window of tolerance is this area around kind of these core memories or around these experiences where past a certain threshold, talking about it and going back into that memory can actually re-traumatize you. And that's why it's so important to have someone who is specialized in trauma if you're working with like a therapist specifically because understanding, having someone understand how to not push you past those limits is really important. A lot of therapists are probably good at this, but there are some who 
aren't that great, right? I mean, there's people who aren't great in every profession. I'm just kind of talking about my experience in therapy as well and a lot of the experiences that I've heard from people in my life. So the reason that I bring all this up is that while there is that window of tolerance, that can that's a really sensitive area that you want to keep as a safe space, right? So what I love about life coaching is that one of the ways that you're able to access how things have hurt you or how your mindset could be tied to experiences from your past isn't through just having to go all the way back to, okay, when I was two years old, when I was five years old, when I was 14, X, Y, and Z happened. Instead, we can kind of dive into your mindset now and go backwards. And sometimes like there obviously are going to be memories or experiences that can be painful, but normally with this method, especially if you're not being pushed and it's just kind of in a gentle way of backtracking, sometimes you can even get to the core of the feeling without having to go to the memory, right? Most of the time, if our body doesn't want to acknowledge something, I mean, that's where repression comes from, right? And so you can forget or completely, you know, avoid certain memories that you you and your body know you're not ready for while still figuring out how they made you feel right so if that's confusing for example like I have struggled with perfectionism for quite a bit of my life and I never saw myself as a perfectionist it never really was part of my identity because I didn't understand what perfectionism is what it really is, is that shame that you feel for not being perfect. And I was being so hard on myself. I was being so difficult with myself. I would shame myself and belittle myself and let my inner critic run rampant. And I was having panic attack after panic attack. Like there was some really dark periods in my life of panic, of depression. Like I went through a lot in terms of being kind of overrun by these emotions and having these diagnoses and all of that but through mindset work I was actually able to find the root of my perfectionism which was that growing up I really had been compared to a lot of people I was punished or shamed for not being perfect I was only accepted or celebrated or encouraged when I showed up in a certain mood in certain clothes looking a certain way acting a certain way right so that left big parts of me feeling unloved that also made big parts of me feel unseen and feel unworthy and feel disgusted with myself and it made me compartmentalize parts of myself completely and a lot of south asian kids i'm sure a lot of black sheep as well really relate to this experience of leading a full double life because you're not accepted as who, who you are at your home right so you have to find that form of expression in other ways and it can lead to you know drinking and addiction and all kinds of things but a lot of it starts out as an innocent kind of double life because we just want to see our friends. We just want to hang out with people. We want to not have to be inside every day on the weekdays and the weekends. Like there's so many kind of innocent things where if we were given a little bit of freedom or accepted in different versions of ourselves, we wouldn't have had to compartmentalize in that drastic of a way. But anyways, so all of those things contributed to me feeling unworthy and unloved and all of that and so I didn't have to necessarily go through my mindset work and think of every single memory that I've had 
with my parents or every argument or you know other negative things that have happened i was able to kind of look backwards from my mindset to say when did i start thinking this way why do i think this way why do i think that you know and by backtracking and with the help of coaches i've been able to get to a place where i can understand what those core things were about me and so a lot of my mindset work like I hadn't worked with a coach for the first like three to four years of my healing journey so working with coaches has always helped me take that work deeper and I'm also working with a therapist now as well and all of that is allowing me to go even deeper when I feel like I need to be held and when I feel like I need to be in a safe place but A lot of mindset work you can also do on your own and you should feel empowered when it comes to your mindset, when it comes to your mental health. Like there obviously is nothing wrong asking for help. Like I've done that, I offer that help. Like that's something that you should always know is available to you. But I feel like sometimes people feel like, well, I can't pay for X, Y, and Z. So, you know, it's not accessible to me. Whereas working on your mindset truly is. And, you know, there's so many things. Maybe I can make another episode on that if you want me to let me know like message me on instagram or send me an email um i can leave those links in the uh show notes below i don't remember if i normally link my email but it's hello at b-e-t-i grew up.com if you were wondering but yeah send me a message and let me know if that's something you want me to talk more about but that mindset work truly is fundamental and so connecting this all back to the experience of a black sheep you feel unworthy because the love that you are given is conditional right and as we've seen through all of the studies that i talked about that conditional love truly affects your mental health not only on a mental level but on a physical level you can experience depression which obviously has plenty of physical symptoms and even outside of that your body stores memory right your body stores emotions and so a lot of us have tight hips we have you know tight shoulders because we're wearing the weight because we're wearing the weight of the world on our shoulders right we might have a lot of tension or migraines or stress around like our temples and our jawline i have issues with you know like grinding my teeth and locking my jaw down all the time and it all is a result of anxiety and having no outlet for these emotions and when you're growing up and you don't have proper tools for mental health you don't have ways that you can advocate for yourself and when you're tormentors basically are the people who are supposed to love and raise you i mean that is confusing and it's isolating af and like the black sheep experience is one of the loneliest things that we will ever experience like because you feel like you have no one and for people who have siblings especially it's like there's all these people around you yet you still feel invisible like how terrible is that right and people don't understand and unless you go out of your way as an adult to find people who connect to these feelings or who you know feel this way maybe you can run across a few but for the most part people around you even as an adult are like oh you should love your parents you know you only have one set and this and that and you know i'm sure you've heard it all and that's really frustrating when you are someone who has tried to offer love has tried to give these relationships a chance but at the end of the day you end up feeling awful for that you know and even in my experience like it used to take me weeks to recover from one phone call like that wasn't even seeing people in person from one phone call i would have to undo and unlearn and fix my mindset and my self-esteem after all of those calls and now that i have gone low contact 
I see my self-worth climbing. I see myself putting myself out there more. I see myself growing more and talking to more people. I've actually almost rethought my identity of being an introvert because while I do recharge on my own and I do love, you know, my alone time, I still love being around people. And for a long time, I believed that I was an introvert and that I hated people in a lot of ways because I had been so screwed over by so many people and so betrayed. And so that's what I also mean by, you know, this experience causing so many trust issues. And all that does is it limits your experience and it limits your exposure, right? Like, how can you have an incredible group of friends if you're afraid of fully giving yourself to people? How can you have a good relationship if you're afraid of being vulnerable? All of these things truly affect our life on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet, a lot of us just assume that our childhoods are over and we we can move on. And unless there's a lot of, like, actionable work that you do to counteract a lot of the ways that you've been brought up and a lot of the things that you've adopted through your mindset you aren't giving yourself like a full chance you know what i mean and again i'm not trying to say this in like a way of being like classist like you have to pay for x y and z a lot of this work you can do your own right like it's really not about any segment of anything being inaccessible to any demographic right like there is a place in this for everyone and while a lot of wellness and a lot of coaches want to take that away, that's something that I want to introduce into this space. Not introduce, but that's something that I want to stand for in this space, right? And there's a lot of people out there who are doing the exact same thing and that's incredible and I think there needs to be more of us, but also a lot of us aren't the loudest voices because we're not making like the most money, but also we're not charging the highest prices and there's nothing wrong with people who do charge more but like there's a place for everyone and for a while it felt like there was a lot of classism going on in the wellness world and that doesn't have to be your experience like you can choose who you follow who you pay for like all of that is something that obviously is in your control so anyways that was like a little bit of a tangent just ugh, there's so much going on in the wellness community that's frustrating but Going back to my point, the unworthiness that black sheep feel is a result from not being accepted and having that conditional love placed on you, having explosive fights with the people who you're supposed to love, right? There's so many different things that we experience that tells us that we are unacceptable, that teaches us that shame should be our first go-to when we need to be punished and when we've made a mistake. And there's actually someone who, um, on their desk at work, they say, um, players fuck up. And it's just, I came across a similar message in it, like a tweet on Instagram the other day. And it was about how like, yeah, I can be annoying. Yeah, I can like make mistakes and yet I'm still lovable. And it's the same thing as like the players fuck up. It's like even people who are incredible, even people who are the best at what they do, we all make mistakes. And when you really allow yourself to have that growth mindset to believe that you don't have to be perfect all the time, right? That perfectionism is a big piece of the black sheep experience as well. So letting go of so many of those things, it truly does change your entire life experience. Because if you're not afraid of messing up, if you're not afraid of not being perfect, how many more things can you put yourself out there to do, right? If you're not afraid of failing because you know that failure is growth and you have a growth mindset most of the time, 
How supportive are you going to be of yourself, right? Because a lot of us, maybe we do put ourselves out for some things, but then we shame ourselves and we guilt ourselves when we're not doing it right, when we lose at something and we don't win, when we're not the best. And that's exhausting. Like I realized lately that I've been so burnt out, not just because of my schedule, but because my mindset for a while was you have to be the best at everything. Why aren't you doing better? Why aren't you succeeding? Why aren't you killing it in every area of your life? And so many of us put that pressure on themselves, right? And even hearing moms, like moms talk about this all the time, right? They want to be the best mom. They want to be the best person at work. They want to do everything. And for any of us, like while it's not about for a lot of us, it's not even about balancing the balancing act of all these things. It's our mindset in the process of it. When you are like, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to buy my lunch at work today instead of make it. You know what? I'm going to have to formula feed instead of breastfeed. You know what? I'm going to have to skip my workout today, right? And you realize though that in the grand scheme of things, you're doing amazing and maybe you just need a little bit more rest today or maybe you just need X, Y, and Z. Taking that approach to this high-powered life is so different than saying, oh my god, you missed the gym and you woke up late. What the fuck are you doing? How could you do this? Like you are honestly such a failure. You're going to be disgusting. Your body, you're like everyone at work is going to judge you, all these things end up like that changes your entire experience. So you can be doing almost the same thing, but your mindset truly is everything. As I'm sure most of you know, most of you who are listening are not new to healing, but honestly, when you step back and you think about it, it's honestly kind of crazy. And I don't know if you have seen this like graphic that I'm picturing that kind of explains equity but it's like a fence and these three kids are trying to watch a baseball game and in and they're all three different heights so with equality they would all have the exact same like step stool and the two shorter people still can't see over the fence whereas in the explanation of equity everyone has a different height of like step stool and so all of them are able to see over the fence and watch the game And I bring that up because being a black sheep, it's kind of like you're on that, you're the shortest person on that step stool, right? You are starting out behind in a lot of ways because even people who, I mean, obviously we all know about intersectionality and we all know that different aspects of our experience give us different difficulties and different privileges, but even people who grew up in difficult circumstances or who grew up without a lot of money they still, them still being able to have the pure love of a parent, that's still an incredible privilege. And for a lot of us, you know, we grew up, whether you're wealthy or whether you didn't have a lot of money, being rejected from our own families, feeling like we were isolated, feeling like we were unwelcome in a place where we fundamentally and oftentimes biologically belong, right? And when you are going through that kind of thing, it really does set you back in so many ways in life because you don't have healthy self-esteem. Like you don't believe in yourself and everything else takes so much longer and so many people end up being quiet and being timid and being shy and it's not even because it's your personality, but you adopt it as a coping mechanism and then you build an identity around it and it becomes a personality, right? 
I was that timid, shy person because I was taught that that's what I was allowed to be. And by working on my mindset, by building up my self-worth, by limiting contact and taking some real action around boundaries in my life, I've taken so many steps over so many years to now get to a place where I feel like I know myself and I like that person who I know and I've changed so much. Like there's a lot about me that I know has always been with me, but there's a lot of my habits and behaviors and mindset that five years ago I didn't even know it was possible to feel like this and I didn't ever think that I, I didn't even think that like it was an opportunity for me to get here and I didn't realize how much other people's mindsets allowed them to do so much more but I did always look around at everyone feeling left out and feeling like why can they do so much and I can't and now and even the first few years of me being a self-worth coach, I still didn't connect it to my black sheep experience. I still was like, I just struggle with this. I don't know why. I know I've been through a lot in my childhood, so that that probably has something to do with it. And then through studying not only the black sheep experience, through studying my own mindset, through ups and downs with my family and noticing how much that changed how I feel and how I treated myself, which wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't done that mindset work enough to be able to observe and study my own mind and thoughts. But that's all of what it took for me to realize, oh, this has a direct correlation to my self-worth and my self-esteem. And it's no coincidence that I've realized that I'm more extroverted now that I haven't been having constant digs taken at my self-esteem, right? Of course, you're going to doubt yourself when people are telling you that you're wrong all the time. Of course, right? And even if you've lost respect for a lot of those people who've isolated you and abused you and treated you terribly, their words still hurt. And that's what sucks about it. And that's what it sucks about it being your family is as much as you don't want to care what they think, at the end of the day, it still has an effect on you. And you probably have multiple phrases in your mind of things people have said or things people have done that still stick with you to this day. And it's like, yeah, that shit affects you, you know? And it it makes perfect sense. So of course, it's if it's affecting you, you're going to try and build a coping mechanism around it so that things like that don't happen. But so much of that coping mechanism is really just self-policing because we say, don't do that because you're going to make yourself look like a fool. Don't do that because they'll make fun of you. Don't do that because you'll be embarrassed. Don't do that because you'll be shamed. And so you stop wearing things and you stop listening to things and you stop doing things and you quit certain hobbies because you're chasing that acceptance and that love and you're trying to avoid shame. It becomes not even about the hobby or not even about the talent. It becomes this obsession over getting people to love you. And like I said at the beginning of this, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. It's the human way. And with any coping mechanism, right? For some people, it might be being over the top, doing whatever they want, being rebellious, being angry. For others, it might be becoming timid and shy and shutting down and curling up into a ball. Other people can even get into addiction and, you know, self-harm. So there's so many different ways that this experience can affect us. But ultimately, the core of it is that you have these painful experiences as a child and you develop these coping mechanisms to help you survive those experiences. Through those coping mechanisms, we develop an identity around it. And by building an identity around 
that self-sabotage or that anger or that shy and timid nature, you end up believing that that's who you are. And so through that belief, you're actually missing out on your true self. You're missing out on all the decisions and actions you would have made and taken if you had gotten to know the real you. And that's when you're in this party or you're in a loud place or you're in a place where you feel accepted and you go home and you just feel incredibly lonely because you're in this place where you don't really know yourself. You can't really be there for yourself or support yourself in that deep emotional connected way because you don't really know who you are. You can support your best friend a lot better than you can support a stranger because you know what they like, you know what cheers them up, you know what makes them feel good, you know how to connect with them. So if you're in that stage of not knowing who you are, of course you're going to feel like your life might not make sense. Of course you're going to feel like you're just checking the boxes. Of course you're going to feel like you're taking step after step without knowing what the point of it all is. This is also why it's so important to look at self-worth as something internal and truly coming from within. So much of the time we look to our accomplishments and yes that's a good way to celebrate yourself but basing your actual self-worth on these external factors is not going to be that same reflection of self-love and of unconditional love as it is to base it on things outside of you because you can have moments where you feel like you're failing or where you do fail where you don't get something that you feel like you deserved and that internal makeup of your self-worth is going to determine how you handle that there's this side to black sheep where we also feel like we have to constantly prove ourselves because proving ourselves was the ticket to being seen as worthy so even if you had a difficult relationship with your parents, if you were able to prove yourself through your academics or through sports, not only would other people or your peers or people in different communities recognize you, but sometimes that was the one thing that your parents wanted for you. Sometimes they do this with pushing their dreams onto you, but sometimes even with your natural talents, that can make them look good. And so for a lot of people with narcissistic parents or people with family systems that want to take the good and leave the bad, they might want to claim that success. And so you get used to that being how you get love and how you get positive attention from people. And so that becomes ingrained into you as this form of you overworking and burning out and tiring yourself and putting yourself last because you think, What's most important? It's that I'm loved and seen as worthy, but your mind isn't consciously telling you that. It's just saying, this is how you've always gotten that thing that you want, so keep doing that. And that means you push yourself to overwork and you push yourself to burn out and you push yourself past your limits. If this is something that you want to work on, that's what I do. And I work with people who identify as the black sheep of their family, and I work with South Asian people. And we work together one-on-one through self-worth coaching to build up your self-worth, to understand where these mindsets and these patterns are coming from. And while I do say build your self-worth, that is a true 
effect of our work together. However, I have had plenty of sessions where I don't even use the word self-work, right? We're just diving into where your mindset is right now, where you're feeling stuck, where you're feeling frustrated, where you're feeling excited. We dive into so much of that and figure out, okay, what's holding you back? What's a belief that you have that's limiting you? What can you do to turn this mindset around? What actions can you take? How can you connect with your body and learn from your body so that you can regulate your nervous system and slow things down and stop living in survival mode, right? So these are all the things that we do in one-on-one coaching and it is so impactful. And, and I've seen tremendous growth in, in all of my clients. If you feel like you're not sure about self-worth coaching yet, but you do want to get some messages, you want to learn more, you want to figure out how you can connect with your spirit guides, you want to get you know messages, you want to know what's coming up for you, you want advice, spiritual advice on where you're stuck and what's the next move forward in your life, that's also something you can get a tarot reading for, right? I also combine tarot reading and self-worth coaching in some sessions in order to maximize the benefit of both. So I have options for all of those things. I also have straight to email tarot readings right now that are $10 for one card and $25 for three cards. So whatever level you feel like you need to do this work, there is a service for you and I've got everything linked down in the show notes. But if you truly feel like you connected with everything that I spoke about today, one-on-one self-worth coaching is the place for you. And because it's one-on-one, everything is tailored to where you are and what you need. You're not going to have to jump through hoops or start at some level that you don't identify with, right? So that's what I love about one-on-one coaching. And a lot of people and marketing experts say, and open your doors, invite as many people, do workshops, etc. And while I do that sometimes, I love things one-on-one because I want to get into the weeds with you and guide you and work with you and help you listen to yourself. That's the point of this all. I don't have any plan for you. I don't know what you want to do with your life, right? But what I'm here to do is help you go through the weeds, walk through that mud, figure out what's going on so that you can listen to your own intuition, so that you can listen to your higher self, so that if you're interested, you can also access messages to your spirit guides. I work with people who believe all different things from all different religions, so I will never force my religious or spiritual beliefs on you. But if that's something that you do already believe or that you're open to, we can go there as well, right? So there's so many ways that we can benefit and maximize our work together because it's one-on-one. And that's why I'm so passionate about this kind of work. So like I said, all the details to that are going to be in the show notes below. And I hope, and I just want to say that I love you and that you are worthy. Thank you so much as always for joining me for another episode of Is It Worth It? If you've been enjoying this episode and think it would be helpful for others, please make sure that you rate and review the podcast. It really helps me so, so much in supporting the podcast and helping it reach new audiences. And if you are able to write a review and email me a screenshot at hello at betigrewup.com, you'll be able to receive 10% off of any of my single session services. So that includes single session self-worth coaching and single session tarot readings. All links to my other content, my services are all going to be in the show notes below. 
thank you again so, so much. I deeply appreciate your listenership and I hope you have a beautiful day ahead.